0: Welcome to the Ashley Webster Experience. Joining us today alongside Brian Solomon is United States Senator Mike Lee. Senator, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. There's a lot to Thank get you. to. Um, you're from Utah. You represent Utah. You were originally born in Arizona. We know that. Right. Didn't have much
1: choice in that. I you didn't you know, but you year. moved very
0: young to, to Utah, and and you. Uh, it's a beautiful state, by the way. I've had a good opportunity to drive up and down it many times, having lived in Montana and, and drove Down Interstate Fifteen, and it's just a gorgeous state. It really is. People should go. It's it's obviously they go for skiing, but it's beautiful year round. So I just wanted to say that. Uh, But, uh, Senator, I wanted to talk about a book you have out. I don't know where you get the time to write books, but you've you've, uh, written quite a few. Your latest is called "Our Lost Declaration: America's Fight Against Tyranny from King George to the Deep State." Now that is a title. Uh, In a nutshell, tell me what inspired you to write this book, and what is it really about?
1: Over the years, it keeps occurring to me that our Constitution is sort of the framework. It's the frame that frames uh, what our system of government is supposed to look like. But the, the Declaration of Independence is itself the picture. Mm-hmm. The Declaration provides the vision that animated our revolution in America. It's the reason why we no longer fly the Union Jack. It's the reason why we have the commitment of liberty to liberty that we do. So it has increasingly occurred to me also that in order to fully understand and realize the vision of the Constitution, we need to understand the Declaration, which is no longer taught in schools and is seldom discussed, even at a university level or in law school. Uh, and why is in that? My experience. Why is
0: that? Do you think?
1: You know, part of it I think has to do with the fact that the Declaration itself isn't um, uh, doesn't have the same legal practical effect. You don't go into court and invoke this or that provision of -hmm. the Declaration. I joke in the book that no one practices Declaration law. (laughs) And yet, we really should understand it nonetheless because it's what animates our entire system of laws. It's what helps us understand what we are, who we are, what we're about, and just as importantly, what we're against in government, the kinds of things we pushed back on at the time of the Revolution.
0: Well, of course, from King George, mad King George, uh, independence was gained. But your argument, I guess, is that even today— that that tyranny, for want of a better word, are the bureaucrats who dictate to us what we should and shouldn't do. And they've become, if you like, the modern day King George. Correct.
1: Only this time they can't be identified with a single name. Right. It's as though you've taken King George and you've Uh, made many King Georges uh, uh, to the tune of tens of thousands of them, and you put them in power. Now, make no mistake, I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not saying they're trying to be tyrants or despots. Uh, It's not really their fault. They're actually pretty hardworking people, uh, by and large, well-educated, well-intentioned, highly specialized. They are not the problem. The fact that Congress has empowered them and has given them king-like insulation from any political accountability— that's the problem. It runs contrary not only to our Constitution but also to our history as 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 memorialized by the Declaration of Independence.
2: And, and
0: you're talking about bureaucrats across all phases of government, whether it's those that perhaps work in the Internal Revenue Service. I just pulled that out of the air. But, <laughs> but whatever department it is, you believe these people have too much power.
1: Yes, particularly those who exercise de facto lawmaking power. There is an age-old problem, one that I discuss at length in our last declaration, a formula by which Congress will pass a law essentially saying we shall have good law and hereby declare that we shall have good law in Area X. And we hereby delegate to Agency Y the power to promulgate, uh, draft, implement, and enforce good law in Area X. And at that moment, from that moment forward, Agency X becomes empowered to make and enforce whatever laws it pleases, and those bureaucrats are not subject to the political process. You can't fire them. People in my state can fire me every six years because Mm -hmm. I'm a senator. You can fire your your representative to Congress every two years, but you cannot fire a bureaucrat. And that's exactly why so many members of Congress have chosen to delegate power to them. It makes it easier for members of Congress to avoid political accountability for bad laws they make.
0: Has this been going on forever? And if so, why hasn't someone done something about it? It's been going
1: on for about 80 years. It that's a really long time. It really kicked in in full force during the New Deal era, during the administration of Franklin D. Roosevelt. Uh, and it has occurred under the leadership of... Houses of Representatives, of Senates, and White Houses, of every conceivable partisan combination. Mm -hmm. I wish I could say that my own party, the Republican Party, hadn't contributed meaningfully to this. It has, uh, to a very significant degree. As to why more hasn't been done about it, I think a lot has to do with a lack of awareness of how things are supposed to work as compared to how they do work. It's one of the reasons I wrote this book. I want to get people talking about that.
2: So – as a senator, how has this hurt, uh, challenged your daily duty? Does this strip power away from you? Does it make it hard for you to pass laws? It, it, it makes it easier,
1: ironically, for Congress to pass certain laws, especially where those laws contain uh, minute detail. Mm-hmm. A, a sort of uh, law light, if you will. We hereby delegate to Agency X the power to make good law. And uh, uh, make it so. Uh, Have fun. (laughs) Uh, And so, yeah, it makes it easier to pass those laws. And one of the real risks to liberty in this country is when you make government too smooth, too easy, too efficient, and where you make almost no one accountable. See, because when a, a bureaucrat comes up with a bad law, people harmed by it naturally come to their elected representatives. At that moment, senators and congressmen often beat their chests. And and uh, say indignantly, <laughs> pointing to the other end of town, those barbarians uh, at the EPA or whatever other agency right. they're talking about. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send them a harshly worded letter <laughs> yeah. as if that were our job. But other than that, the members of Congress get off scot-free because they're not making law. Those who are making most of the law are easily boogeymaned and easily ignored and avoided. And members of Congress... Pretend like this is not their fault, which it is.
0: Are you a, Are you more a libertarian, Mike? Are you anti-big government, get government out of the way kind of guy?
1: I'm a pro-liberty guy. I'm a pro-freedom guy. Uh, some have described me as a libertarian. I don't use that term to describe myself mm-hmm. in part because so many people disagree as to its meaning. I, I, I am first and foremost a constitutionalist. I'm someone who believes. That government needs to respect its limits. I'm a big believer in what James Madison wrote in Federalist 51. If men were angels, we wouldn't have need of government. And if we had access to angels to run our government, we wouldn't have to have all these rules. But we're not angels. We don't have access to angels to run our government. So we have to have rules. We've got to have limits about what government can and can't do and how it has to do
0: it. You know, it's interesting. What's it like being in Washington right now? We're at a kind of a unique time in this country's history, but also a unique time is the the depth of the divide between parties and also within their own, own, I look at what's going on with the Democrat Party right now, being pushed far left and those that dare to be a moderate Democrat are getting shouted down. And then certainly there are disagreements in, in the Republican Party, but at the very heart of it right now, there's a lot of anger, a lot of venom out there.
1: There is. There's a lot of venom. I think a lot of that is the foreseeable, unfortunate, and highly regrettable outgrowth of the fact that when you put too much power in one government, when you centralize that much power in the federal government in particular, you're going to turn up the emotional temperature within the country. The political pressure escalates dramatically. Whereas if the power were more diffused, people wouldn't have so many eggs in that basket, mm. they wouldn't be quite so concerned about it. Think, for example, about your homeowners association, if, if you have one in your area. <laughs> yep. If you had a homeowners association and you originally feel fine about paying 100 bucks a month into it or whatever, in exchange for that, they cover garbage removal and uh, removal of uh, snow uh, mm-hmm. when there's heavy snowfall. Do the, yard. Uh, yep. do the yards. Light the common areas. Um, over time, you would start to, to regret it. But more importantly, it would become more and more of a contentious set of meetings if your homeowners association started deciding uh, where you would send your kids to school. If it started deciding how many servings of green leafy vegetables you would be required to serve your children every day. The more it intruded into your day-to-day existence, the more controversial that homeowners association would be. That's what we have with the federal government. We have created something that originally was supposed to have a limited purview.
0: Yeah, but once the genie's out of the bottle, Senator, mm-hmm. it's so hard, impossible to push it back in. And and I think you're absolutely right. With each as as our personal freedoms are eroded inch by inch and as the government takes more and more control, it's very difficult to push back. Now you may have a party that comes in that undoes some of that. But ultimately I always feel like taxes, once they're involved once they're imposed, it's very, very difficult to get rid of them.
1: Yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, is the, the Scottish... so that's just the way the government is.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's reminds
1: I... me of a song by the Scottish rock band The Proclaimers. Uh, oh yes, we fight when they ask us, we push, then we cower, and <laughs> the more the government pushes back on us, any time government power expands, it does so inevitably at the expense of individual liberty. Very mm-hmm. difficult to put it back, but one of the things that's made us the most successful republic in the history of human beings. has to do with the fact that we do care about liberty. And we ultimately recognize that we are the sovereigns. We still have the ability to reclaim this. But in order to do it, we have to know our own history. We have to know how we got here and how we can get back to that place where the people are sovereign.
2: Well, it seems like right now, especially members of the left, they continue to restrict more freedom, more liberties in name of, Bettering the future or bettering different things. So, I mean, you see Bill de Blasio, Mayor Bill de Blasio saying, oh, we're going to restrict all these things, restrict the building skyscrapers or restrict driving below 60th Street because we want to save the environment. So it's, oh, this is good, but we're going to restrict your freedom. So it seems like we're trying to give you something, but we're taking it away. It seems like there's this constant, you know, there's this constant sense of we're helping you by not allowing you to do as much.
1: Yes, and that is the most dangerous of the emotions that goes along with government. It's one of the most dangerous messages that we have in our society today is that we, the government, are are, are giving you permission to do X, Y, or Z. One of the things that makes the Declaration of Independence so important, one of the reasons why I wrote our lost declaration Mm. is because I want to remind people that those rights, our own liberties, exist because we exist. They're granted to us by Almighty God. Uh, they 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 exist in the state of nature with or without government. Uh, government has no business saying, yes, uh, y- you you may be Christian. Yes, you may be Jewish or Muslim or, or uh, agnostic or atheist. Th- that's nobody's darn
0: business but our own. Mm-hmm. It sure as heck isn't the government's business. Yeah. So how do you roll back oppressiveness as you get into in your book? Is it possible? I, I keep coming back to this genie out of the bottle, but it just feels like it's very hard pushback.
1: Winston Churchill is famous for having said the American people can always be counted on to do the right thing after they've exhausted every other alternative. (laughs) I'm not sure he (laughs) meant that as a compliment, (laughs) uh, but I take it as such. I I think he was recognizing that it is something that we do well. And sometimes we take the scenic route to get there. It is difficult to put that genie back in the bottle. Sometimes it has to get pretty bad Mm. before we do it. But in our case, We've already fought this war. We've already declared our independence. We've already set in motion a system of government that that really does guarantee that the people are sovereign. It's difficult, but it's possible.
2: You know, our good friend Charlie Kirk from Turning Point USA said in the green room earlier today that you're probably one of the only people in Congress that can quote the Declaration of Independence. Do you think your colleagues recognize this issue and you know see the problems presented from stemming from the Declaration of Independence?
1: I think on one level or another, most, maybe all of them do, how that manifests itself with the ones and zeros representing each yes or no vote will vary from person to person. Uh, Sometimes, uh, just uh, as we say in a religious context, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, uh, So, too, in a political context, many members feel the cause of liberty. It burns Mm -hmm. within them, but that candle can flicker when the winds come. When the pressure comes to vote yes for something, people want to be for something. And sometimes when you stand for liberty, you have to oppose something that appears on its face to
0: be good. That's hard. I want to pick up an issue outside of the book, but certainly is an issue that's dividing the country. It's a big topic is immigration and the crisis at the border there are those that say there are there is no crisis at the border but of course if you've been down there it's it's a mess and i know that you've spent some time down on the texas border uh, i lived down on the uh, uh the arizona mexico border for 3 years and was very familiar with the issues down there what is the solution to this senator how can we i know the president wants to build the wall and i know that that he wants to change the laws a little bit to make the uh, to to make it harder and not to encourage people to come here en masse Um, But it is a huge problem, is it not? And how are we going to solve it?
1: It is a huge problem. And as I learned as a young missionary in the lower Rio Grande Valley of Texas, the people who often suffer the most from uncontrolled waves of illegal immigration are the poor and middle class, especially the poor, especially recent immigrants uh, or, or the children of immigrants whose lives, livelihoods, and neighborhoods are more likely to be affected adversely by uncontrolled waves of illegal immigration. So when we talk about compassion, we've got to remember that enforcing the law is necessary to protect those most vulnerable among us. Not enforcing the law is the furthest thing from compassionate. If by compassion you're focusing on uh, people who are already here, on the American people, mm. uh, on those who have already arrived within our borders. I think the first thing that we have to do in in order to fix that problem is to secure the border, and that's going to require the establishment of some barrier along along the, the border. Whether you call it a wall or a fence, I really don't care what you call it, but some type of barrier that will push people toward lawful points of entry when they come in. That by itself will do a lot. To restrict and restrain those who would otherwise engage in human trafficking, who are trying to sneak children across the border for all kinds of evil purposes mm-hmm. because the people at the ports, points of entry are more able to, to detect those signs of human trafficking and apprehend those responsible for it. We also need to change our asylum laws, which have been abused by drug cartels who have seen this as a huge profit center for them. We need to undo the so-called Flores settlement, as it's been interpreted, mm. that guarantees people if you cross through our border illegally, you have a child with you, whether it's your child or not. If you claim that the child is your own, they have to release you by operation of the settlement agreement within n- no more than 20 days. Mm. Uh, that has created a vacuum, a magnetic pull for people coming across the border illegally for all the wrong reasons, and we've got to fix it.
0: And sanctuary cities? I, I don't think there's probably any of those in Utah. There,
1: there are not. But the fact that we have sanctuary cities at all ought to be troubling to us. Let's mm-hmm. think about all that it means. Well,
0: it's encouraging to people to come city. here to break the law. Encouraging them to
1: be here. And it's these are these are communities that are already receiving a lot of federal funds. And one of the levers that we're supposed to have Uh, With those federal funds, if you're going to thumb your nose at federal law, you ought not be able to receive that funding. Uh, This is indicative of a system that's out of control to begin with. Mm. Uh, Why did anyone decide it was a good idea for a community to to be able to say, we're going to seek
0: actively to undermine federal law? Yeah. I, it's just mm-hmm. insane. We and endangering the safety yeah. of the people in those communities when you have criminals who are released before federal authorities can get there to pick them up. It's yeah. ridiculous.
1: And then they completely freak out when the president suggests, how would you like for us to just <laughs> yeah. send those crossing our border illegally directly he was into the right community? You would to say yeah. that,
0: I think, don't you?
1: Yeah, it made an outstanding point, yeah. which is a lot of these people are fine with the abstract concept right. of illegal yes. immigration. But they feel less confident about it if somebody's going to be going directly into their back door.
2: And isn't it interesting that these cities that are sanctuaries today, they're liberal cities, and normally the Democrats are for big federal government, right? Republicans are for state government, local mm-hmm. government. But yet they're demanding that their local cities and states have different laws and more power than the federal law.
1: It, it's it's, yeah, it's, I, back it's back weird, front, right? Yeah. yeah, really is interesting. It's... Um, Sort of like they're embracing federalism without realizing that they're embracing federalism. <laughs> yeah. But the hard part about claiming that they're embracing federalism here, I wonder if this has crossed their minds, is that federalism presupposes that there are some areas in which federal law controls. Immigration happens to be one of the few things that is, by its very nature, federal. Mm-hmm. It is Uh, uh, by by its very nature within the power of Congress to control. So sometimes to me it's a reminder of the fact that when you have a federal government that is so busy doing things it was never intended or designed or overtly authorized to do, it fails adequately to do the few things it is supposed to do, things like controlling our border.
0: (laughs) I've got to look ahead quickly while you're here. I know we're running out of time, but uh, 2020 should be interesting. Um, we already have close to 20 uh, candidates now on the Democrat side, and I mentioned this at the beginning: a, a party that seems to be very kind of split between itself. Can, can we go with the younger group and go far left? Uh, Bernie Sanders, who's not, you know, part of the younger group, but certainly <laughs> of the same mindset. And then we have maybe a Joe Biden who's like uh, perhaps more moderate and is trying to figure out in his mind, how can I appeal to more people on my, in my party without going far left? I think all of this plays into the into the GOP's um, hands. What say you? I think it does. And it's
1: one of the reasons I believe President Trump is likely to be reelected. As I see the Democratic presidential hopefuls, they seem to be trying to one-up each other, Mm. each trying to step to the other's left. I think they're gonna move so far to the left, it's gonna be really hard for them to be taken seriously in a general
0: election. And it's frustrating because I feel between now and that time when we, we get to the election, there's not gonna be a lot of policy discussion on that side of the aisle. It's gonna be investigate, 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 and just keep hammering away at this president. They didn't get the result they wanted on collusion from the Mueller report. They're screaming obstruction. Some are now saying impeachment, but all of this does nothing to forward what this country is all about. Get on with the business. It does
1: nothing. And, you know, there's a part of me, Ashley, that wonders if they ultimately get what they want, whether they're going to deeply regret it. Mm. The deeper we dig into this, the more it looks ugly for the deep state. The yes. more it makes us really start to have cause for concern about why it is that people within these certain government agencies were able to do so much for what appear to be pretty blatant partisan political yeah. reasons. Yeah. Uh,
0: I don't know that they're going to be un- uh, all that comfortable with all that will be uncovered. Well, we have the inspector general's report to get into yet. And as you say, that could be, as you say, maybe they don't want to go down this path. Because mm-hmm. when you start investigating the investigators, it could really turn up some interesting stuff. What was going on at the FBI? We know through the emails that have been revealed, it was staggering that they could not even conceive of Donald Trump being president, and clearly they were going to do everything they could to prevent that from happening. Including setting
1: up a so-called insurance policy. Yes, Mm -hmm.
0: exactly, and this bogus dossier that was paid for by the Clinton campaign. I mean, you you really can't make this stuff up, but uh, it could be really interesting when we get the details of the uh, inspector's report.
1: Once you're able to weaponize the criminal law enforcement process and the intelligence gathering uh, machinery of this country, there's a lot of damage you can do. And there is a lot of damage that was done by these people within the deep state. Uh, Those people do need to be held accountable. And it, it is yet another reason why we should look back to our founding era
0: to restore the proper balance between local government and national government. And I was government. going to bring all that back to your book. And what would the founding fathers say of what's been going on, certainly in the last 80 years, maybe even in the last year? They <laughs> yeah. surely are turning over in their graves. i have had a heart
2: attack. <laughs> I
1: would think so. Now, in many respects, I think our founding fathers would look at what we have today, and they would be perhaps su- pleasantly surprised that we survived this <laughs> long as it <laughs> <Right>. came. That <laughs> we've thrived, that we've got this booming economy. Uh, that we are still a country that we are still flying the stars and stripes, uh, and they'd be pleased by that. At the same time, I wonder whether uh, that song by the Who might resonate with mm-hmm. them. Uh, uh, tip my hand, my hat to the new constitution. Yes. Take a bow for the new revolution, yes. and and they they, they they look and see that the that the new boss has taken on some of the trappings of the old boss. Even though we don't have a king today, we've got a lot of mini kings in executive branch agencies who have been empowered by members of Congress who just want to avoid doing their job. That would freak them out. That would tell them, you've got to look back at the Constitution and especially at the Declaration of Independence. And I think if they were here, they would say,
0: you need to read our lost declaration. And you need to read... U.S. Senator Mike Lee's book, again, the title, Our Lost Declaration, America's Fight Against Tyranny from King George to the Deep State. Senator, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Much appreciated. Uh, On behalf of Brian Solomon, this is Ashley Webster. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back here next time. (coughs)